Sans Fans Radio, Australia's least coherent podcast network. Welcome back to Total Reboot, the only podcast on the internet about movies. Coming at you live <laughs> from Blu-ray Studios, my name is Cameron James and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host with the co-most, Alexi <laughs> Tolliopoulos. Alrighty then. <laughs> Cameron, it is such a joy to be here with you today in Blu-ray Studios in the year of our Lord, mm. and he's up there in heaven with a pot of gumbo dancing around <laughs> with a Miller Light <laughs> and Saviour 2021. It is wonderful to be here in 2021. We've had a bit of time off. Mm-hmm. I hope all of our listeners have had a little bit of a break, had a yes. bit of time off too. And if you haven't, well, it'd be a lot cooler if you did. <laughs> Yes, we are making a joint statement here on the podcast today. <laughs> I'm so excited about this because uh, we've we've teased this mm-hmm. in the uh, last week or so, and it's time for us to finally reveal our grandmaster plan, mm-hmm. which is that we are moving on from just talking about an original film and its remake, yes. and we are now opening up the doors to the world of cinema mm-hmm. and saying, you know what? Let's talk about all of it. Exactly. We want to get back out there exploring larger topics. Yes. I would say we kind of enjoyed in the last year doing more of those like weirder topical mega series uh-huh. uh, where we would look at like road games in relation to Rear Window or the career of an actor, mm-hmm. a franchise at whole. And we kind of like had that idea of moving forward from that and looking at subgenres, cycles of genres topics, themes, and kind of taking that and running with it with this new series. So what we're doing for season two is every six weeks or eight weeks, we're going to have a new theme Mm -hmm. that we are discussing for that entire length of time. Yes. We're going to pick a series of films that hover around a subject or a theme or a genre, and we're going to be exploring that genre through these films. Mm-hmm. What are we doing at first? The first one we're looking at is Screenagers. Teens on our screens. So for the next six weeks or more, we haven't decided yet. We don't know yet. We're saying six weeks. It could be ten weeks. Who knows? We don't know it yet. It could be two episodes and then we just do nothing. Who knows? <laughs> but for now, I'm saying for mm-hmm. the next six weeks, we're going to be looking exclusively at films that deal with teenagers in cinema mm-hmm. or Screen ages, as we love to call it, because you're we're screen ages. Yeah, yeah. you know when you're a teenager and you get into film. Guess what? You press pause. You become a screen ager for life. That's true. I'm a screen aged mutant ninja turtle, baby. I'm never gonna get older. And turtle is the character I relate to most on Entourage. (laughs) So that is why I've given myself that nickname. <laughs> it's exciting to think about this because mm. you and I both love teen movies. We yes. love teen comedies, mm-hmm. teen horror films, yep. coming of age, dramas. Mm-hmm. So we, we're we keeping it a little bit broad this time around. We're just going to pick our favorite 
films about teenagers. And hopefully, over this little series here, we'll come to some sort of like profound realization of what mm. a teenager on screen is. Yeah, I think that's part of it because teenager is almost like this cultural construct. Like it, mm. there was always this idea of coming of age and like having rites of passage and rituals that are associated with like that part of your life. But, you know, it's a cultural phenomenon from the 20th century, basically, like what we understand a teenager to be. And it's evolved over time. And the way it's represented in popular culture has kind of helped what we understand teenagers to be. So, please, everyone, Mm -hmm. I want you to travel back in time emotionally. Yes. Remember what it felt like to be a hormonal, angsty optimistic yet cynical mm-hmm. teenager. That's part of being a teenager. There is some cynicism. You can't help it. You see things that you liked when you were a kid and you go, Harry Potter is freaking lame. It stinks. I like cool stuff now, like smoking herb. And the Matrix. They go hand in hand. Okay? <laughs> That's what I like now. I used to like freaking Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Biker Mice, and Street Sharks. Now I think those are lame and I like Bob Marley. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> I want you all to travel back in time with us on this mini series. Try and get in touch with how you felt when you were that age, mm. and let's find out if these films accurately depict those feelings. I think that's the exciting thing about going through this, and like you know, you and I having like a connection to the idea of a teen film, the coming of age film, mm. is that there is so much more than most topics in cinema and popular culture and art really is that there is a universality to this stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah. There is this common feeling that everyone has and this common shared experience where everyone goes through this growth, this change, this shift in hormones, this new feelings hair in really weird places, etc. But, you know, new emotions for the first time, feeling a new form of love, like the ideas of crushes, and also going through that shared experience of going through high school. This is a universal experience that most people in this world have had. Mm. And I would pray that most people that listen to this podcast have been a teenager at one point in their life. Some of you might even still be teenagers. And heck, I hope some of you are not yet teenagers listening to me say the word fuck for the first time in your life. That will sear into your brain. You're like, I can't believe I'm hearing the fuck word for the first time on this podcast. I'll never forget where I was. And you're going to learn some real Fs and Jeffs on this podcast if you are not yet a teenager. We're going to say some new swear words you've not heard of, such as piss. Yeah, and fart. Oh my lord, your little ears are going to be tainted with words such as... Also, taint is one. (laughs) It's an important one, actually. Yeah, taint is probably one of the most important swears you'll ever learn. And taint, if you don't know what that means, if you're too young to know, it Can means freaking gooch, dude. <laughs> you know how I remember what the taint is? Mm-hmm. It taint your ass and it taint your balls. It's the freaking... I learn it by the alphabet. A, B, C. Ass ball connection. <laughs> Okay, it's easy as ABC to learn what a taint is, okay? (laughs) 
<laughs> so for you teens and pre-teens and post-teens out there, we really want to come together and figure out what a teenager is on screen. And there is no better place to start than one of our favorite movies of all time, Richard Linklater's Dazed and Confused. This country is founded by people who were into aliens, man. George Washington, man, he was in a cult. And the cult was in the aliens, man. You didn't know that? No. Oh, man, they were way into that type of stuff, man. getting air from there, man. It's no good. It was the last day of school. Uh, Miss Crawford, I was thinking that maybe you and I can get together over the summer. I mean, it'll be legal. I mean, it can be. It was the first day of summer vacation. Do you guys know anything about a party here tonight? No, sir. It was a time they will never forget. There's a new fiesta in the making as we speak. I thought he was cute. Oh, you thought he was cute? Do you realize when he graduated, we were like three years old? If only they could remember it. Okay. Dazed and Confused, written and directed by Richard Linklater in 1993. Now, Alexi has found a description for this movie online. Let's find out if it's accurate <laughs> or not. Alexi, what's the logline? This one comes from Google. Dot com Love those guys. Slash search, slash dazed and confused. <laughs> and this is, in 1976, Texas, a bunch of teenagers celebrate the last day of high school by hazing freshmen, partying at a local pool, indulging in drugs and following it up with a keg party. See, what I love about uh, all of these loglines that you find online is that they are technically... True. They're, They're technically accurate. accurate. But someone had to write it. And they lack, like, so much feeling. A je ne sais quoi. And yeah. especially when a film like this is all about the je ne sais quoi. Like, for you to go, okay, what stays and confused about? It's it's 1976, Texas, a bunch of teenagers celebrating <laughs> the last day of, of high school. I don't know how many. I didn't count them. There's a bunch. It's a loose number. There's just a whole bunch of them up there, and they overwhelmed me, and they freaked me out. <laughs> and they were indulging. They were <laughs> indulging. They were partaking <laughs> in keg parties and illicit substances. So, like, technically, yes, that logline is accurate. But mm-hmm. there is so much more to this movie. Mm-hmm. It's one of those things where, you know, it, you can't, I can't describe, I've seen it so many times yeah. and I've tried to sell people on it and I would probably sound like the fucking guy that wrote this Google logline. Yeah. And I don't I guess know. it's the, about a bunch of teens. Oh, so technically, yeah, they are indulging in drugs <laughs> and, they, and they follow the drugs up with a keg party. Okay, interesting. Sounds okay. boring as fuck, but mm. it's not really about that because it is a series of moments mm. and a series of things that seem inconsequential, but they, they capture an emotion. I think yeah. Linklater is one of those guys who he's an emotionally brilliant filmmaker. Absolutely. I think that is the thing about this movie is that there's almost like, it even goes back to like how this movie was sold to people. Mm. 
or how it was rolled to people, if you will, because of marijuana, because of marijuana and weed, so and, when, and like that and like sweet green Mary leaves Jane and, stuff. and yeah. stuff, like all of that really weird and scary stuff. Or like reefer, even. reefer. There was some reefer madness involved in the marketing of this movie, and they kind of pushed this movie as almost like a Cheech and Chong <laughs> yeah. type drug a comedy, drug like drug you know, like enjoy it with a bird. Oh, that's a tagline. Watch it with the watch bud. it with a bud. And the other one was like, um, the movie everyone will be token about. They That is extremely funny. Can I say? Fucking balls to the wall hilarious. I am laughing. I'm screeching. I'm turning. When you told me that, let the record show I stood up, screeched and spun around and then sat down again. Yeah. And you're still laughing so hard right now. I am. It's like that lady to hook when they, when Peter Pan and stuff finally come to England and she starts screaming and waving her hands around. Yeah. I'm exactly like that lady. Yeah. You're going crazy right now. I'm that joke right now. Because <laughs> it's really funny because token mm. like is slang for toking weed or yeah. like smoking a bit of marijuana or Token green. smoke, they're yeah. kind of like same and, meaning. But in the context of that tagline, mm. it's the movie everyone will be talking about. They mean like talking about. Talking about. about. And like I guess people technically around... talking and token sort of sound similar. And they do sound quite the same and they do have a social aspect to both of them. Yeah. And so you're imagining a situation when you hear that, that's like, okay, there's people at an office that hang around a, a palace of congregations, like yeah. a water cooler, if you sure, will. Sure, sure. And they're... It's, they're discussing what they've been doing for that weekend. One of them is like, you wouldn't believe what I did. I saw the most fucked up weed movie I ever saw. And like, oh man, that's what I'm talking about and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, and yeah. they would be really going in on it. And like, that's a social situation, talking and talking. So would you describe this movie as a fucked up weed movie? <laughs> <laughs> I would put that in my log line, the most fucked up weed movie of the year. <laughs> Um, it was I, really mismarketed, hey. Yeah, because, absolutely. Um, you and I both read the oral history of mm-hmm. Days and Confused. It's By Melissa Mars, yeah. Melissa Mars, it's called All Right, All Right, All Right. And that's a quote from the movie, direct quote, if you will. Yes, um, and they go into l- extreme detail in that oral history about how the uh, distributors didn't know how to sell it. Mm. So what they decided to do was lean on like... Selling it as like as you mentioned a Cheech and Chong type film. Yeah, they created a logo for the film, which is like a smiley face that looks stoned. Yeah, it's a smiley face with like rubbed out red eyes and, and it's like... like drooling. And then they chose this weird bubble font for mm. it, and they came up with those horrible taglines. And then they had I remember the DVD cover exactly. I remember it's the so DVD. bad. It's just like this weird. You know when people it's do a that purple haze. Yeah, it's like that stretched out effect on mm. photos where. They've made them long and a bit wavy. Yeah. And it's like, whoa, these characters are fucking crazy, man. <laughs> They're in a funhouse mirror. They're, They're so high. stoned right now. And so really for years you look at it and this is like, this is probably my first, my first experiences with this film mm. is knowing the title, knowing the cover yep. and assuming that it was going to be like uh, the movie How High. Yeah, exactly. It's <laughs> going to be a laugh out loud like a weed crazy movie. weed movie or like half-baked or something. Mm-hmm. And then finally seeing it when I was, I would say, 17. In fact, I know I was 17. Mm-hmm. I was on my second schoolies. Whoa. So I went on schoolies week one, went to uh, Gold Coast and Byron Bay. 
with a bunch of friends. A bunch of teens. A bunch of teens. We indulged in drugs and we had a keg party. <laughs> God, you guys are wild. And uh, That's some fucked up weed movie <laughs> shit. Full disclosure, on that on that schoolies, mm-hmm. I got dumped by my girlfriend. Brutal. Brutality. And he never got over it, unfortunately. <laughs> and I still think about her every day. So then I got I got home from that schoolies and me and a small group of friends mm. said, you know what? Let's go to Sydney yeah. for four days. We'll get a hotel room. We'll go fucking crazy. We'll rent some DVDs. So we went to Sydney, partied a lot. And on one of those days when we were hungover, someone was like, you know what? We should smoke weed and watch this crazy movie called Days and Confused. <laughs> and we, someone, we were like, that's awesome. That mm. sounds great. So we all got high, put the movie on. Everyone fell asleep within like two seconds. Yeah. And I stayed up and watched it and was like, I can't believe this is this is not what I thought it was going to be. Mm. But I, I was so emotionally moved and yeah. uh, engaged in this movie and just became obsessed with it ever since. I think I'm almost the exact same story where... I watched it on DVD at 17 years old. I think I watched it by myself. I don't think I smoked up. Although, back then, I did partake. Hell yeah. And uh, renting it from the video store I worked at. And just kind of knowing it's going to be like half-baked or even Pineapple Express may have been out Mm. around that time. And like, you know, I was a weed guy. I'm like, I love weed. So I'm going to watch all the weed movies, including (laughs) the classics. And I just being like so moved by because of just graduating or being on the cusp of graduating. Mm. I saw it around then and just like feeling so much going like, wow, these are, this is a really special time. And this has really captured that exact feeling of that amorphous time where it's like, well, school's over. You're Mm. shifting between like what they have middle school and high school uh, or junior and high school. And just being like, I don't, this is like capturing it all. But the weird thing is now, I've seen it like you at least a dozen times since then. Mm. It's probably a film that I watch at least once a year or at least every two years. And the closer I get to 30, I think the more it means to me. Mm. Especially in the last couple of years when I rewatch it, where now I am truly nostalgic for that time of my life. Because those were the best years I ever had. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I could go back. The best years of my life. Please let me quote Randall Pink Floyd from the movie Days and Confused. Mm-hmm. If I ever start referring to these as the best years of my life, remind me to kill myself. Well, noted and see you later. It's been great <laughs> podcasting to all of you guys. But- you know what's interesting though is mm. like you're, you and me, we're both nostalgic for mm. this movie, mm-hmm. which is a movie made in 1993 yep. when I was a fucking baby yes you were even born i was born and i was partaking (laughs) (laughs) and it's set in 1976 Mm. in uh texas how how far removed Mm. can you be from the experience presented in this film yet somehow it feels like it's about us yeah and i don't quite know how Linklater has managed to do that. And like even further removed, like I associate this movie, I see it and I can apply my own life to it. And I see the experiences I had going to parties that reflect the experiences I had going to the parties, reflect the experiences like meeting people for the first time, like having that like not peer pressure, but like Mm. going like, hey, do you want to try something cool? It's called weed. Or do you want to get your (laughs) ass smacked by Ben Affleck? Like those are not exact experiences I had in real life. Close to. I got spanked by Casey Affleck. (laughs) (laughs) 
but um the but like those things where it's like you can relate to those experiences but i didn't grow up in a small town like that i grew up mm-hmm. in like a big city like a very urban lifestyle but i still go man it's just like days and confused days and confused is an accurate representation of those feelings i can't i still like i don't know how he did it mm. because it's so specific down to the fact that the people in this film the characters are actual names of his friends yeah. from his high school experience. It's that specific. Mm. And, you know, he was a he was a footballer who mm. then defected to play baseball. Um, it's all about his life, yet somehow we can watch it and go, oh, that's 100% my high school experience, mm. even though, you know, it wasn't. So I did grow up in a kind of a smaller city, yeah. Newcastle, and I can relate to a lot of the experiences of like edge of the city fun Mm. that's the part that when i watch this movie i go that's that's my high school experience Mm. is um we all lived with our parents in the suburbs and there was nowhere to party so you would go to a park yeah or you would go to like the beach or you would drive around in someone's older brother's car and just talk about things you hadn't done yet mm. um, and act like you had. Yeah. You know, and so that's that's kind of what I get from this is that that feeling of you're just skirting around adults all the time mm. and trying to act like you run the fucking place even mm. though you're actually scared of getting busted by wow. security guards or cops or your mum and dad or something. I think that's such a great explanation of what this movie does. And what I think when we talk more about further teen movies down the line where uh, there's this idea of like these two separate worlds, like one is the world of the adults, mm. one is the world of young people, of teenagers. And I think this movie is really interesting because there are adults in this movie. Like mm. you meet a couple of parents, you meet some teachers, you meet like some older folks around the town as well. But it's a very separate world and the way they interact with older people is really different. Like I love that scene where Wiley Wiggins' character is uh, buying beer for the first time. Yeah. It's like a favor for a friend. Yeah. Uh, one of the older guys is giving him some money. And he's like, what, like 14, 15? Yeah, he's supposed to be 14. And he looks so young and he has to go buy beer from like a corner store. And he has to start faking that he's old, he's just graduated. Mm. He invents like some fake job, he but he does it so what, casually. He copies the things that McConaughey said. I've noticed exactly. from this viewer. He says basically word for word, yeah, I yeah. got a job for the city now. It's nice to have a bit of change in my pocket and yeah. stuff. He looks like a kid. Exactly. And it's like, that's a universal experience. People like, you know, mm-hmm. breaking a law, lying, trying to interact and masquerade in the world of adults. And I think that's something that I find so fascinating in teen films is how they play that. Mm. Like there's somewhere there's no adults, you never see them. And it's a whole separate world because there is that separation where mm. like you're not honest with your parents when you're a teenager no. or you hide stuff from them. And it's always feels like these two secretive worlds. Mm, very true. What I love about that sequence is that there's no consequences to him uh, mm. buying beer. Yeah. And I, I love that, you know, if that was played in a John Hughes movie, it would be, you know, the the, the young kid mm. gets asked by the older kids, go and buy his beer to prove that you're cool enough to hang out yeah. with us and he would get arrested or something. Exactly. Or, you know, something crazy would happen or he'd or, get... To, or the guy would pull a gun out on him or yeah. something like that. Like in Superbad where it like becomes like this whole divergent path of the film. Yeah. But in this, it's just the guy goes, 
are you 18? And he says, yeah. And the guy goes, oh, cool. Congratulations on graduating. Yeah. <laughs> and then he just buys the beer. That's it. Uh, that's that's like a small town life, man. Mm. Is it like the adults don't care that much? They just they just kind of want you to be safe, but they mm. don't they don't want to mo- mollycoddle you too much. I think that's what Linklater does so well. Is like it's so reflective, this movie. Like it is so like a reflection of your experiences. I think as a filmmaker, he is kind of like a Christopher Nolan or something obsessed with time. Dude. But yeah, in man. a really fascinating way. And it's the way that seeing how it's evolved is like this movie is and like this part of his career, like before sunrise and before mm-hmm. sunset as well. It's like his films are about characters in a moment in time mm. and how people experience time. And then when you get to further along stuff like boyhood, it's almost like how time flows through a character. Oh yeah. Dude, or yeah. how characters navigate through time. The final lines of boyhood are, um, someone says, you know, they say that we should seize the moment, but I feel like it's the opposite that always happens. It's the moment that seizes you. Mm. Um, and I think that's a good like essay heading mm. for Richard Linklater's film career. Cause they're all about, the tiny, tiny little moments that feel like they are taking forever. Mm. There's a couple of shots in this movie, you know, it's all set over one day. It's all not even a 24-hour period. It's like a, it's like a fucking 12-hour period yeah. or something. It's very, very short window of time. But he pauses the action to show us um, a character going through a car wash and getting soap suds in her eyes mm-hmm. or a little league team saying good game to each other after they win or, you know, a guy like trying to like dust dirt off his pants and struggling with that. It's Mm. just those little tiny moments that happen to you that when you're a teenager, you're like, I'm so embarrassed Mm. or I'm so sad. This feels heavy. Yeah. This moment feels heavy, even though it's just a flickering moment. I think that's another thing that it's, a thing that everyone has where they remember something from their past and it's like a visual memory, Mm. but it's not even anything you can articulate. Like Mm. it's just like, oh yeah, I have a memory of being in the library. Do I remember anything else about it? I don't remember the book that I picked up, kind of, but why was I there? What was I doing there? Mm. But I don't remember, I don't remember any of that, but I remember the feeling of what it's like to sit in the library that I went to in high school and I remember picking up books and I remember what it felt like there, but you can't articulate those things, whereas I think Linklater can visually articulate them. I think so, yeah. Yeah, and... um. You know, there's this movie is a funny one because because there's weed in it. It's there's funny. There's so much weed in it, and when I watch it, I think I should chop up another big fat bowl <laughs> and just go crazy with my bong right now. Yeah, I might munch on some lettuce while watching this movie. Yeah, dude, I call it the devil's lettuce. Wow, because he's a cheeky character from history. <laughs> no, but I mean, this movie. It's funny because its legacy is that it launched a lot of A-list careers, mm. right? Yeah. Um, so you'd think you'd think that there's a lot of incredibly funny star-making performances mm. in this, but it's it's so underplayed. Yeah. There's only there's really only two people that I could look at this and go, 
oh yeah, they're stars. Yeah. But everyone else who is famous, yeah. I'm like, yeah, yeah, pretty good performance in that movie. You exactly. just you played it pretty natural, you played it pretty straight. You were so nuanced in that film. Yeah, but there's there's two people obviously that stand out as mm-hmm. like these are the these are gonna be the famous people. Yeah. I don't know who they are who your standouts are, but for me, obviously Matthew McConaughey, it's it's famous for being his his launch pad. Um, and rightly so, yeah, I would say. It is a magnificent performance yeah. by him. It's almost hack to say how good is McConaughey in Days and Confused. I know. But, and I feel embarrassed even saying it. And it's so interesting because he has gone on to be like a cultural megastar. Mm. Like beyond cinema, mm. he's people know his personality. Dude, he's the creative director of Wild Turkey. And Lincoln, and he designed that <laughs> holiday house that he went to last week. Yes, that's like, true. He is like he's like a guru. He's a philosopher, basically. Uh-huh. And uh, people know, like the like you know when there's other celebrities and like people that have been famous throughout time where you know their career mm. and you can know their performances and you might even know their wife, their kids, you know about their life, like elements of their life. Matthew McConaughey is someone like Bruce Lee where you know their vibe and yeah. philosophy. He is a cipher. Mm. I don't think anyone truly knows much about Matthew McConaughey, but you know everything about him by the way he talks. Yeah, Watch his Oscar speech. I do every week. It actually is a huge part of my life and motivation is watching his Oscar speech. I watch it all the time. He gives nothing away about his personal life. But then he also is revealing and talking about his personal life. It's such a strange combination coming Mm. from him because he's... Seems like an open book, but mm. at the same time, he's like talking in kind of riddles and rhymes yeah. and shit. And it's so beautiful. Like to me, it's also one of the best like five minutes of comedy. Like if I could do that on stage, I would be so happy because like everything from like the way he pronounces words, like and Mr. Jean Marc Vallée, like yeah. when he says that, when he's like calls one of his kids Mr. Stone, yeah, the best. When he describes his dad up in heaven, proud of him, and he's dancing, he's dancing, he's stirring a big old pot of gumbo, and he's got a middle light in his hand, <laughs> and it's like, oh, it's evocative. And you see his beautiful mom watching mm. up at him winning this award, and then the speech of him bringing elements from this character, yeah. who is like elemental to his life philosophy, is Wooderson, <laughs> like which is really strange because it's like a side character who's a creep, who's like a creep and a weirdo, <laughs> but somehow over time. Actually, no, according to the oral history, Mm. almost immediately this character came to define Matthew McConaughey. Like his actual existence in the world. Before the movie came out, Mm -hmm. he sort of like reinvented himself as I guess I'm I'm Wooderson. Mm. Like I'm just gonna be this guy. I'm gonna talk in this accent all the time. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna be like this stoner like hippie wise like shaman type mm. guy there's a couple of f- phrases in this movie all right all right all right we may have mentioned this a couple yes. of times and just keep living mm-hmm. both of which he still says all the time both of which he says in his oscar speech i believe they're the last words of his oscar speech <laughs> i think he says all right all right all right just keep living and then says goodbye crazy it's really it's really phenomenal like how he was able to like morph himself 
this character around him mm. and like adapt this aura because I think Wooderson is like truly a magnificent character. Yeah. And in the hands of another actor like a I don't know, a Jason Bateman or someone. Yeah. I don't know why he's the first actor that came to my just head. Trying to think of a contemporary trying to think from of a contemporary. early nineties. Yeah, of Spader. Just, James Spader or someone. Imagine like someone like that doing... Yeah, the the guy who's famous who plays creeps in movies. (laughs) On on the page, Wooderson is a creep. And and I believe that's how Linklater intended him to be, which was like this pathetic dude who hangs around with high schoolers still and tries Mm. to pick up chicks. The dialogue still certainly reflects that. Yeah, But McConaughey, by his natural charisma or some choices that he Mm -hmm. made turned the character from a creep into like the almost moral compass of the movie. Like yeah. he he gets the final monologues at the end that are about how, you know, all you have to do in this life is just keep living yeah. and shit like that. Like he becomes the Jiminy Cricket. Yeah. Like I, this fun fucking Jiminy Cricket motherfucker. That's so true because it's like he becomes a philosopher. Yeah. And I think that's also like in the way that we're like slowly introduced to him as well. Like mm. I think Linklater, when you hear the way that the actors talk about this being the most satisfying creative experience of their life, not just like the actors that didn't go on too much note, mm. like Ben Affleck, who's not really in the movie all that much, mm. playing like a villainous character, has said like, being directed by Richard Linklater and it was only one time in this movie Mm. was what shaped his entire career Mm. and what shaped his career becoming a director because they talk about the freedom of like play building their scenes and building their characters to kind of be invigorated with their own experiences and their own personalities but also be shaped by Linklater making like mixtapes for them based on songs that he thinks their characters would have liked if they were in this like period what they would have been listening to i mean he let them uh he let them kind of rewrite scenes to Mm -hmm. a degree i think they talk about it a lot in the oral history all the actors yeah they've i think they've reframed it in their head as we kind of wrote our own dialogue yeah but i think if you you know if you asked richard linklater he would say i just gave them a lot of freedom they didn't rewrite the script but i feel like someone like mcconaughey uh, put a lot of himself into the character and then absorbed a lot of the character mm. into himself and rewrote, I, I would say, without him, it's a different movie. Yeah. Like he, and they talk about it in the book, he changed from being the side character creep to being in the back half of the movie. He, it's, he's like, he's in 75% of the back yeah. half of the movie and he's in the final shot and he gets the final lines mm-hmm. and he, they wrote out a character. Yeah. To bring him into it more. And he's like integral to like how people get to the party. Like the yeah. Marissa uh, Rabisi, mm. like how she gets to the parties because he floods with her and like gets her to tells her where it's going now. Yeah. And like he kind of like takes hold of it all. And the thing is, it's like it is so Richard Linklater. Like it's not just like McConaughey came in and like stole the movie mm. or whatever. Like it shows like clever auteurist filmmaking by going recognizing like this is it this is like this is someone to hang the entire philosophies of this film onto and the mood and the aura of this film and like part of that is like beyond his performance like you know mcconaughey uh 
Richard Linklater talks about like going, if this film turns out exactly how he wrote it, it's going to be pretty okay. It's an under, yeah, it's an underachievement. It's an underachievement. And then you see like the, comp- for me, like my favorite moment of the movie now um, is hitting on those ideas of like complete filmic collaboration mm. where we're getting to know Wooderson, we're getting to know McConaughey, which is one entity basically. <laughs> and it's the moment where they go to that arcade, like with all the pinball machines and the pool tables, mm, the, the Emporium, emporium mm. and uh, Hurricane by Bob Dylan is playing. Oh. And it's such a different song to everything else in the movie. Yeah. Like this, you know, all the other songs are like kind of like would be like mainstream rock pop stuff now. Stadium rock. Stadium rock, like Aerosmith's, your Fog Hats, Low Rider, like Mm. all of those things that like have become iconic because of this movie. But then this is a moment where this is a really political, like it's a political anthem is being played. Mm. And they talk about it in the book and it moved me so much watching it again that this shows that Wooderson, like while he is like this fucking like himbo, basically Mm. he also is a little bit older and genuinely a little bit wiser than these people. So his tastes are like maybe a little bit more refined. Mm. And so he's, everyone else listens to like, you know, fog hat, but he's here listening to Bob Dylan. Like this guy is like, that's the difference between them. And like, that is, says so much about that character while also just existing. Like, it doesn't hit you over the head with anything. It just goes... It's very subtle. Philosoph- philosophically, this guy is a little bit more grown up, even though he is, like, a loser guy as well. Well, there's a they say this in the book too. There's a line in that song which is, uh, you know, pretty much lined up with when he enters the bar, which is um, he could have been the champion of the world. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, you know, it's a movie about someone who... I mean, it's, you know, this this story, the Wooderson story mm. is a guy who had potential and has kind of floundered it, which I think adds some emotional resonance to it. Mm. But for me, when I watch this movie, um, I'm going to save my second favorite person for yep. later on when we do the awards. Yes. But anyway, for me, when I watch this movie, the big takeaway is Mitch Kramer, who's Wiley Wiggins' character. He's, mm. you know, playing the young baseball kid who gets hazed and then gets taken under the wing of Jason London and the Mm -hmm. older boys and they kind of take him out for a night of fun just to kind of show him that yeah sure we treated you like shit for the first hour of the movie but we're actually okay dudes and we We we're we're ushering you you into this new era Mm -hmm. of being a teenager like you guys will be the next generation sort Mm -hmm. of thing I feel that I have uh I have my own experiences with that. Mm. Um, my older brother, uh, sorry, my friend's older brother, uh, Jay, and his friend Sean, when I was about 14, they were a few years older and they did the same thing for me and, it, mm. and my friends. And we would like party with them and drink with them and ask them questions about girls. Yeah. And they would answer and we thought everything they said was so smart and genius. But looking back, you're like, what the fuck did a 17-year-old Yeah, I know. Oh, another sexy. idiot. Yeah, just some other idiot philosophizing. Yeah. But I remember going to their parties and just like honestly feeling that, that strange feeling of being out of my depth, but also wanting to act cool and casual. Mm. There's a few moments that Mitch Kramer has in this, like when... When uh, Wooderson asks him, are you cool? Oh, no, no. Rory Cochran's character, Slater, says, are you cool? 
and he doesn't know Mitch doesn't know what he's talking about. Like what what Slater was saying is, do you smoke weed? Yeah. But Mitch is like, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I'm cool. I mean, I guess so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then <laughs> Pink's like, he's asking, do you smoke weed? And yeah. he's like, oh yeah, well I haven't before, but like you know I would or whatever. I will now. I'm like shit. That, yeah. I reckon I've had that exact experience that exact conversation when i'm that age yeah and it is such a strange feeling of like they saw me for a second yeah they know they see that they i'm saw 14 my weakness yeah. <laughs> they saw my vulnerability they saw it god damn it i thought i was doing so well but mm. they saw it i just love it it really hits me every yeah. time i watch this movie i think i that's the same thing like i end up relating to different characters each time i watch it mm. and i think you know wiley and pink the yeah the, 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 the like the jason london character they are like the two Richard Linklater, like yeah, they're the stand-ins, the for him, stand-ins for, sure. for him. And it's kind of fascinating to see how he like he populates everyone around them and how like everyone influences each other and how everyone is putting a front on for different people around each other. Like I always love the Adam Goldberg character. <laughs> I think that's maybe the character that I relate to the most. I guess <laughs> is like the him like having this like this like intellectual group with him and his two friends with um, uh, Anthony Rapp and <laughs> Marissa, Marissa Rubisi, Rubisi yeah. where like they have like their like intellectuals almost like their bit, like they almost belong in another part of this film or mm. another town or another city mm. and they don't fit in with everyone else. But then like the pink character can fit in with them and he kind of, drifts around to everyone else but then the adam goldberg character has like these fronts to his friends he has this deeper vulnerability and then when he gets into a fight with this guy just to prove Mm. something to himself even or Mm. to prove to everyone else around him there's not just this weird intellectual nerd he is a strong masculine man as well and then he gets his ass beat and he starts like pouring with tears i just think that is like such another real moment of like Needing to prove your masculinity to who? Mm, who I know. else gives a shit about it? I know it's so, and they're they're such babies. They're yeah. like sixteen or something, and they look they look so young. They look so young, and they're like trying to act like adults. God, it breaks my heart. I love. There's a moment towards the end of the film where uh, the character Sabrina, who's the other like freshman who's mm-hmm. being hazed, is the being hazed by the girls. She stands up to Parker Posey's character, Dala. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Dala's drunk and she's like, you know, air raid, get on the ground or whatever. Yeah. And she doesn't do it. And it's like the big climax for Sabrina's character, mm. which is that she stood up to Dala and Dala says, I'm going to make the next year of your life hell. Mm. And walks away. Like horrifying, terrifying words to hear from a senior. Yeah. Like someone Nightmare saying, stuff. for the next year, I'm going to bully you mercilessly, mm. right? It's the big moment for Sabrina. She doesn't say a word in the scene, mm-hmm. and I love that. Yeah, because that's what bravery is as a fucking teenager. Mm. When you're when you've got an older person standing above you, bravery isn't standing up and like kicking them down mm. and being like "fuck you, I'm my own person." Yeah, don't talk to me like that. When you just can't articulate that shit when you're 14, so you just you're silent and you mm. just sit there and you just don't react, mm. and then that's being brave. Absolutely. And I, I fucking relate to that too. Yeah. When I see Sabrina do that in this movie, I'm like, yeah, shit. That's probably the closest I came to being brave when mm. I was that age too. I think that's also such a brilliant performance, that character. Like, 
the way like how there's like all this outward awkward vulnerability to them mm. and they like in a really different way to the Wiley Wiggins character getting swept up by these older girls like mm. uh uh Kramer, the older Kramer sister yeah, yeah. uh what's the actress's name uh Michelle Burke yeah the Michelle Burke character yes. like kind of taking her under her wing and uh, like Loie Joran, I can never say her name, Joey, <laughs> Joey Lauren, Lauren Adams. Adams. Yes. Like the way that they all kind of like take on these younger girls and have the same thing where they like torture them mm. and then they befriend them is so well done and so fascinating and so encompassing. Like maybe that wasn't one day in Linklater's life mm. or in the experience of these teenagers, but so all encompassing of that idea of feeling so small and like seeing these kids that are older than you and like they're adults like have this full life Mm. and you're just like they're so much older than me and then when you become those older kids like these little fucking kids are so young Mm. and now when i look back like you know in my late 20s i go they're all the same age i can't tell the difference between these people yeah and i'm the same age as them as well (laughs) (laughs) i really do think that this is just like a rare example of like one of those great films that arrives at the exact right moment from the exact right filmmaker where, you know, Linklater was already beginning to explore time and characters with Slacker and the transition between stories in like that kind of hyperlinky way mm-hmm. and uh, hyperlinklater actually. That's really good. And it's funny. Um, yeah, okay. it's really funny. Yeah, okay, I might punch it up a little bit later on. No, I on. think that's really good. It's there? Okay, it's well, I'll there. say it on the podcast. Yeah. In that really hyperlink later way, yeah. which is clever and funny, way of putting it, um, where he's exploring these, thi- these, these things, and we hadn't really experienced that in film in a way like this before. Mm. Uh, like, you know, there's obviously... Linklater is so steeped in like French New Wave. Like you can see so much of like that European and French New Wave in his in his oeuvre. But I think like bring it to American cinema. I do think that this almost does kick off like that Paul Thomas Anderson like Magnolias. Mm. Like you know, Pulp Fiction is not long after this, mm-hmm. and like that is in that same kind of hyperlink style. But it kind of does go on to at least be like a bit of a forerunner to that cycle of American independent cinema in a way, even Mm. though this is a big studio film. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it started as a big studio film and And then it got completely completely kicked down the line to (laughs) like some smaller wing. Um, No, totally. I think it really kicked something off. Um, Not just the careers of everyone, almost everyone in it, but it kicked off uh, a movement. And Mm. even though it wasn't a huge hit when it came out, it's lived on for that reason because... When you watch it, you do get inspired yeah. and you you think foolishly or whatever, you think I could probably make one of this. Absolutely. You look at it and go, oh yeah, I could make one of these about this. my childhood. Yeah, I could do this. It and looks effortless. That's what's so good about it. It's all about those details. Like it's all about like those shifts, those feelings, that aura. Like, you know, when you see those lockers open up and you see like pictures of Muhammad Ali like stuck to them. Like mm-hmm. it is all about creating that authentic feeling of being immersed in an era and not just an era, a time in your life as well. There's something that I just keep coming back to every time I watch it and every time I watch Boyhood as well, which is that nothing incredibly dramatic ever happens Mm -hmm. to these characters. Yeah. But 
it feels dramatic for them. Yes. And that's that's what being a teenager is. Yeah. It's just small things that feel like the world's ending or feel like you fall you feel like nothing will ever be as good as this. Mm. Um, kissing someone on a hill while summer breeze plays or yeah. getting pushed down at a keg party or, you know, like having paint poured on you. Yeah. <laughs> it all feels like it's just the most crazy dramatic thing, but really it's nothing. And it's, I, I always come back to that. That's so well put because it's not just those moments, the ones where there's an intense drama to them in some way or inherent mm. drama rather, but like the moment that's towards the closing of the, fi- the film where they're lying down on the football field, mm. philosophizing about life and the direction they're going to go to, that f- at that point in time, that's going to feel like the moment that your eyes are opened to what the world really is. Mm. And you have like this deep, powerful moment connection with your friends. And it's like the reality of it is they're trespassing, lying down on a football field yeah. in the middle of the night after drinking. Yeah, But the feeling of it is we are about to confront the rest of our lives a new frontier. I'm changed from this moment. And what's cool about it is that this movie doesn't try to say, look, they're all having a realisation right now. Mm -hmm. It's just the filmmaker saying, I remember this moment and now it feels important. But at the time, it was just a thing that happened. Mm. You know, like him, they're laying down and one of them says, one of them's talking about how they hated high school and the other one says, well, you know, I just like to think that I had the be- I did the best I could while I was mm. trapped in this place and I yeah. had the most fun while I was trapped in this place and I uh, bawled as many chicks as I could while I was trapped in this place. And yeah. They're all kind of laughing at it, but that's really what the movie's about and potentially what, you know, Richard Linklater's statement on being a teenager is, mm. which is just, I wish I, I wish I did that. Yeah. <laughs> I wish I just enjoyed it for what it was. Uh, absolutely. Instead of being stuck in my own fucking head. <laughs> Thinking about how I turned it into a movie one day. <laughs> Shall we move on to the awards? Yes, we are going to be giving out awards on this podcast series from mm. now on. Just a couple per episode, things that we want to highlight that are unique to this movie, that deserve an award that may not have received it in a real and tangible way back in 93. So what's the first award that you'd like to give out? I would love to give out an award specific to this film, mm. which is the realest weed moment. <laughs> so so this is um, going to be to a, a marijuana-themed mm-hmm. moment in the film that felt the most realistic to you? Yeah. Or something you could relate to? To the idea of a fucked up weed movie, perhaps. Okay, all right. Like, I would love to give it to the Rory Cochran moment. And I think Rory Cochran, it is a really, like, you know, it is such an incredible performance because it is a caricature of, like, a stoner. Yeah. Where, but it also <laughs> captures something that I think Linklater was so wise to going, like, you're onto it, you've got it. Like, he literally looks like my friend that was, like, our version of this character who had long hair, wore, like, this exact type of T-shirt, which was just a weed leaf on it. Yeah. And, like, it, it's so authentic to that. And, like, the idea of building up that persona, being like, that's what I'm talking about, man, and saying mm. man, like, hundreds of times. Yeah. And the But the moment is 
where he goes on his like philosophical bent about like the benefits of weed and yeah. talking about George Washington <laughs> and George Washington's wife having like this field of weed and she'd be chopping up a bowl for him for him to smoke up when he comes home. It was a hip, hip lady, man. <laughs> it's great. I think that's such a real moment where it's like, you know, you're with your friends and you're all trying to convince each other that weed rocks. <laughs> well, that's what's so funny about that moment is it's a like a caricature of what a stoned moment mm. is in a movie, but we've all had our version of yeah. it, which is just before he says all that shit about George Washington, yeah. he, they're talking about aliens. Yeah. And he says like, you know, where are the aliens, man? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> like, oh God. Like that's so cheesy. Yeah. But also I swear to God being like 15, 16, I remember someone mm. in our group when we were stoned saying like, um, you know, like what if like, we're like the pets of aliens. Yeah. You know? And they like just watch us like we watch ants. We're or like a zoo or something. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, shit, man, I didn't even think about that. What if I'm the Truman Show? Or and so- the Truman oh, Show yeah, was actually a just a clue for me to eventually figure out that I was the Truman Show. Shit, dude, maybe I'm Truman. I'm fucking the Truman. Or dude. I remember um, what if the color green that I see is different to the color green that you see. How do I know that? And you look up at the sky and you would see if I had to put your eyes into my head, I would interpret that, wow, the sky is green to this guy and the grass is blue. Fuck. Holy shit. Weed, for the lack of a better word, is good. Weed, in my opinion, rocks out. (laughs) And we've got another award that we want to give away on this podcast today. Yes. I think we should give a best acting Oscar. Now, the Oscars mm. is trademarked. Yes. But we don't care. We don't care. We're taking it. We're actually going to call them the Oscars we're as well. Ca- we're calling them the Oscars. <laughs> yeah. We're giving out our own Oscars. Yes. We have also taken the title of Oscars and we're going to give them for acting. Yes. So, we want to give the best acting Oscar to someone who is in this film, mm-hmm. was not nominated, yes. but should have won. Absolutely. And uh, Alexi, what I'm going to ask you to do mm-hmm. is give the acceptance speech on their behalf. Wow. Now you can do it Brando style where they've sent you as a... <laughs> sent me in. Sent I'm you. a little succeed little feather coming in. <laughs> or you can do it as them. I'm going to mm-hmm. leave that open to interpretation. But um, wow, okay. I would like to give the best acting Oscar to one of my favorite stars, past, present and emerging, Parker Posey. Wow, this is such an honour for Parker, who I'm here representing today. <laughs> she's written a little speech for me. Um, she's really excited about it because she thinks that she's hot shit. <laughs> she thinks she's really hot shit in this movie <laughs> and she should have been recognised a lot more as a major motion picture actor in the fucking 90s. She had a few moments there. She's in, um, she's in. Uh, what's the email one? You've Got Mail? She's in You've Got Mail. She does play Greg Kinnear's new friend and freaking Tom she Hanks' She plays the female ex. Baxter. She plays the female Baxter and she's a real bitch. And I love it. She's so good. Um, I love in the book that she talks about how she was kind of going to like underground RuPaul mm. shows in New York yeah. at the time. And then she's like, when I watch this movie now, I'm like, oh, I'm just doing a drag character. Yeah, like, I'm, I'm just, playing RuPaul. I'm playing RuPaul. And it's so true when you watch it. I think she takes this line and it's my actual favorite line from the movie. 
And it's like, if she's taking this Oscar acceptance speech the way Matthew McConaughey is doing it, she's telling you to wipe that face off your head, bitch. Because I think it's the best line of the whole movie. She explains (laughs) it like it was a mistranslation (laughs) in a play that she'd done. Like it was supposed to be wiped. Wipe that smile off your face, but it was mistranslated as wipe that face off your head. And then she added the word bitch to it like RuPaul would do. Turned it into like an iconic catchphrase. Yeah. Wipe that face off your head, bitch. It's so so good. It's so good. And I think that she's so amazing at playing like this really nasty yet incredibly funny bully in this movie. Mm. Like her and Joey are so good together. And I think like... You know, Joey has like this in- like actual inherent kindness about them. Mm. And I think both of them went on to become like these it girls of like indie and comedic cinema of that era. Mm, for sure. And, you know, you read in the book, they're very close friends and they slowly had like a falling out. Yeah, they got jealous of each other. Because they stuff. just ended up going for the same roles. Yeah. It's like such a heartbreak. But I think Parker Posey in this movie is... As astonishing as Matthew McConaughey for me. Yeah, for sure. She's my second favourite that I was hinting at earlier. Those two together, I put them on equal tier Mm -hmm. as the two star performances in this film. And it's just like, it encapsulates all the great stuff she can do with comedy in a way that also elevates the movie, but never encroaches on bringing her character into broadness, Mm. into broad comedy. It comes close. It does come close. It knocks on the door of broad comedy a few times and peeks in. Yeah, like the aforementioned line does cross a line in some ways. That whole sequence, it's Mm. like it's it's turned up to almost cartoon levels of craziness. But yeah, I mean, she's just so fun. She's so engaging. She doesn't ever seem like a real person to Mm. me, but I am like... Enraptured by her. And that's still a front that a teen would put on to like take power over all these younger people. Yeah, God, I love her in this. And I think I'm so proud of her for winning that Oscar finally. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much. Much belated. If you could pass it back to her, I'm very, I'm very proud of her. She is so wrapped by it. (laughs) Uh, Before we wrap Mm -hmm. up this podcast, Mm -hmm. I think we should try and do something a little bit different, something a little bit new. Um, I'm going to ask you, Alexi, mm-hmm. if you were to reboot this film... Oh my gosh, yeah. You have the rights. Wow. What would you do with it? So if you've actually got the dazed and confused. You've been given the rights to the title, to the script, to the story, to the characters. Shit. And it's in your hands. You have to reboot it. What would you do? I think that... It's hard to do because there's so many like spiritual successes to this mm. and you've got to st- steer away from them. Yeah. Like I think about Wet Hot American Summer, one mm-hmm. of my favorite movies of all time. Like a comedy version comedy of it. Comedy version of it. It takes like such like a great nostalgia uh, that this builds with authenticity and then builds it with like parody. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a masterpiece. Freaks and Geeks accepted, uh, or not accepted, Freaks and Geeks and Undeclared, I think are like yep. spiritual successes of this. Linklater goes back to it with everybody wants some. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, you got to use the characters, right? You can. You got to go back. I remember reading something a while ago that Rory <laughs> Cochran had this idea for a sequel. Have you heard about I this? I know what you're going to say. Yeah, it's yeah, the yeah. most wacko idea <laughs> yeah. of like bringing this back yeah. um, of following these characters again uh-huh. like 20 years down the line like what are they all up to yeah and you have to sync it up on one day and the day that rory cochran pitched was 9 11 yeah and i'm just like 
That is crazy. Like, that imagine is if that is what they ballsy. Made. Yeah. That is a ballsy move to go, yeah, we're, re- we're doing a sequel. It's a direct sequel, mm-hmm. and it takes place on 9-11. Yeah. And what? <laughs> like, how is it? Like, are they all in the same place? Or, like, what is it? Are they all in that town? Or do you, like, follow them? Like, uh, okay, well, McConaughey actually... Uh, Woodison actually became a like, successful actor and now he's, like, on a TV series. <laughs> like, what do you do? Does he just become McConaughey? Were they going to be... I remember reading that, too, that Goldberg's character moved to New York. A few mm-hmm. of them moved to New York and yep. Adam Goldberg's character was, like, in Wall Street or something yep. like that. Oh, my God. And then, like, one of them was an artist living in the like like whatever the west side or whatever yeah. the fuck and well it's still that's so much better than like you know we woke we open up to like sweet emotion and it's a plane coming out <laughs> it's like a plane coming out of the what airport what is the captain <laughs> all right all right all right this is your captain Shit, they're like looking around and going hang on i recognize that guy did i go to high school I think with I went to high rap? school with everyone in this fucking hang plane. on a second and that's mcconaughey <laughs> Hang on a second. Shit, it's like Final Destination. <laughs> <laughs> Just them placing it all together. That would be a bad movie. That would be a really bad movie, and I really hope they don't make it. Do you remember when uh, we watched the sequel to American Graffiti? Mm. More, more American Graffiti. Yes. Which is set over like four different New Years, mm. and you see like one of them in Vietnam, yep. and one of them in blah, 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 and all that shit. I'm open to something like that. Yeah. Like if they did... Because this movie is the 90s answer to Mm. American Graffiti. Yeah, absolutely. What if we did a version of that that's set, you know, every year, every New Year's for like Mm. five years apart and we watch the main. It makes sense in like Linklater, like the time Mm. type thing. I'd be cool with that. What if it was just like, I've actually been making it. I've been making it. Oh, man. If he'd been making it for the last Mm. 20 years... I mean... Um, and Mila Jovovich is the main character. <laughs> <laughs> He's doing it to make it up to her for fucking her over oh, in this movie. what if we find out that the Resident Evil movies are actually... Oh, shit, that's her. A time... Yeah, it's the same character. Same character. She just went off and did some cool shit with Umbrella Corp. <laughs> that would be awesome. <laughs> it's like a real Cloverfield sort of tie-in. Oh, my God. I would simply adore that stuff. <laughs> I mean, yeah, well, you know, hopefully we never get a sequel, we never get mm. a reboot, but, you know, the ones you mentioned are perfect for people yeah. that want more of this style of thing. There's one more that I just watched that really I was blown away by that came out last year. It's one of uh, the Small Axe films by uh, the director uh, Steve McQueen. Small Axe, not Small Axe, the Pokemon, okay. yep. Small Axe. Sure. Uh, but they're like, uh, they're set in. The, between the 60s and the 80s, like uh, the West Indies community in London, they're all separate. But there's one that's called uh, Lover's Rock and it's just set at a party, a house party that follows like different characters. There's no like protagonist, but it's like an ensemble where it's just like romance and captures a vibe of being at a party mm. and like the feeling of dancing together in a room. It has like the best needle drops probably since Dazed and Confused. Mm. And like that is probably the first time that I've seen something that like encroaches on ex- on like the feelings of that this captures mm. in a way that feels still in the same ballpark but completely original. What's it called? Lovers Rock? Lovers Rock. It's Where'd one of the small axe films. It was on it's on Foxtel here in Australia. Oh cool. Yeah, that sounds awesome. Yeah. It's incredible. Great recommendation. And I'd like to throw back to American Graffiti and say watch that as well because it's also about teenagers driving around in cars. Yeah. And, and one of them went on to be extremely famous. Yeah. Harrison Ford. Ron ha- oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> 
uh, thank you so much for listening, everybody. Yeah, this has been really fun to explore one of our most favorite treasured movies in this way. And it's exciting to kick off an entire new mega series with a bit of a new theme. We're going to be looking at some more teen movies over the next few weeks. We have a few suggestions that we've got, but we're mm-hmm. open to yours as well. So please hit us up online. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can tweet at us, Total Reboot Pod. Yep, at this is Alexi for me. And, and I'm Cameron James for me. Give us your suggestions. You know, obviously we're going to have some suggestions like American Pie, mm-hmm. I'm imagining, will pop up. Yep. Um, some of the John Hughes movies, I'm sure. But go crazy. Pick mm. some random stuff, stuff that you might not expect. Yeah, surprise us with some suggestions because we're open to really exploring screen ages from all over the place. Yeah. yeah. Or what are ones that you'd like us to hear about or ones that we may not even be aware of that you think we should cover? Yes. Next week on the Screenager miniseries, mm-hmm. we're going to be talking about what film, Alexi? The film that I've picked for us to discuss is a newer film mm-hmm. that I absolutely adore and cannot wait to watch again. The movie is Bo Burnham's Eighth Grade, starring Elsie Fisher. Oh, Amazing. Can't wait to get into that. Well, I think that I think it might be time to go. I think so. The bell's ringing. The bell's ringing. It's time for us to roll up a big old fat doobie <laughs> and drive around and listen to cool music. Okay. Let me play some fog hat for you, bitch. <laughs>